Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Hawthorne, Tatman, Jenkins, Hutchinson, Hirsi Ali and Plumwood. Let's get radical about philosophy. I was not looking for my dreams to interpret my life, but rather for my life to interpret my dreams. Susan Santag, The Beneficiary, 1963. Welcome to Radical Philosophy. I'm Melanie Rosen, and I'd like to listen to Radical Philosophy on 3CR Community Radio, and that's 8.55 on your AM band. And I'm speaking to Dr. Melanie Rosen from Macquarie University about dreaming. Now, how would you define dreaming? Well, that's actually quite a complicated question, because to start off with, I'd like to clarify that I'm talking about those kinds of experiences that we have during sleep, not the type of dreaming you might refer to as, for example, daydreaming or my dreams of the future or my hopes and aspirations, those kind of things. So I'm talking about those sleep experiences. However, some people would define dreams not even as experiences that we have during sleep. So for example, According to Norman Malcolm, this is a paper from the 50s, dreams are actually the tendency to make reports upon waking. So I don't, uh, I don't agree with that theory, but I do think that dreams are extremely varied. And, for example, a dream could be an um, immersive, three-dimensional a spatio-temporal experience of a body in the world. So philosophers refer to embodiment, so having being in a body in which we act, and embeddedness, so being a body within the world in which we make decisions, do actions, and move about and so forth. So I believe that dreams can be like that at times. A dream could be a accurate representation of the waking world, or it could be extremely bizarre, or... A dream could be quite a simple experience, for example. It may just be a sensation or the feeling of falling, for example. A dream could be more like a thought or more like imagining. It could be quite vague or indistinct. Some people might say that, well, a lot of those things that I'm talking about shouldn't be considered as dreams. They should be considered as something else. For example, a simple experience such as falling might be referred to as a hypnagogic hallucination. But I like to refer to all of those as within the experience of dreams. That was a very long response to a very simple question. <laughs> well, well, it was interesting because, yeah, I, I didn't sort of think about daydreaming or dreams that you have for the future. So, yeah, mm. there are there are quite a, a few different types of dreaming. What was it that inspired your interest in dreaming? Well, I think dreams are very interesting in terms of how they can be applied to philosophy of mind and our understanding of consciousness. So 
for example, I think that dream, the study of dreams might be able to tell us about what it's like to be conscious, what is the human experience, or even what, it's, what it means to be a self. And similarly, I think the philosophical theories of the mind need to be applied to our understanding of dreaming because they tell us about what dreaming is. So there's a kind of two-way interaction between our understanding of dreams and our understanding of the mind. And one example of how dreaming is important for the philosophy of mind is that any theory of consciousness has to be able to explain all different types of consciousness. So if dreaming is a separate type of consciousness than, for example, waking experience, then any theory that explains consciousness in general needs to have an explanation for dreams as well. And therefore, we could use our theory of dreams to test theories of consciousness. So let's say one particular theory can't explain or can't incorporate dreams into its, into its view, then maybe we should say that that theory is implausible. Yeah, that's a good point how dreams are so individual. I've never heard of two people having the same dream. Yeah, so, well, you could have recurring dreams. So you might, one person might have the same dream over and over again. But, yeah, the variety of dreams is, is part of what really draws me to them because there's so many different possibilities for using dreams as thought experiments. So um, you've probably recall, you probably recall Descartes' dream argument about whether or not I'm in a dream right now and why that gives us some skepticism as to whether the external world exists at all. So it can be used in a thought, as a thought experiment in that way. But the specific variety of dreams provides lots of thought experiments in other areas, such as I think one of the interesting types of dream that one might have are what I refer to as vicarious dreams. So dreams in which you are actually somebody else. And I've written a paper on this with uh, Professor John Sutton. So in dreams in which, let's say, I could be dreaming that I'm Napoleon, what does that actually say about you or the individual that appears to be the protagonist of the dream? Is it you or is it someone else? And if it's someone else, who is that person that's in your dream? It's, it's, it's an interesting variety. Yeah, it certainly is. I've, I've never dreamt that I was someone else. Maybe I'm inadequate in my dreaming and, <laughs> and, and <when> I, <laughs> making me feel quite concerned because when I, when I dream, all my, I always know I'm in a dream because they're really, always really grey and hazy mm-hmm. and it's just a, a vague sort of memory when I wake up and at the time nothing's very clear or the pictures are not very sharp at all. Mm. So I think that I have my own unique style of dreaming. So, uh... Well, yeah. Well, I mean, certain types of dreams are extremely rare. So from my, I, I, I'm not a statistician, but I've, I've read into a lot of dream databanks and I've gone out of my way to find examples of certain times, types of dreams. And although they are out there, specific dreams like vicarious dreams are very rare. So most people don't report them. Another example of a, ra- a rare dream, which I'm, I talk about in a fourth, in a, 
upcoming paper, which should be out in, in a few weeks, actually, is having thought insertion. So the experience that your thought is actually being put into your mind by somebody else. That does occur in dreams, but it's very rare. I've only managed to find a few examples of it in the data banks. So I don't think uh, because you don't have vicarious dreams, it means that your <laughs> dreams are deficient in any way. And also, there's been no relation between how interesting your dreams are and how interesting you are as a person. <laughs> so, I'm really people... glad to hear that because I thought I'd be a very hazy, grey, drab person if my dreams were anything to go by. Now, another interesting thing is my daughter was reading a book on dreams and it suggested that when you when you wake up and you've just had a dream that you write it down because mm. I know myself with within an hour or so of uh, it's totally disappeared from my memory. Yeah. Well, writing down the dream can help you remember the dream, of course. But, yeah, so memory in dreams is very interesting because it fades so quickly. It's, it's not like many other waking experiences that we have. And our memory within dreams is quite bad as well. So we may have absolutely no access to our waking memory at all. So you may forget who you are in a dream, or you may forget what you did the previous day and so on. Um, in terms of writing dreams down, I remember a story that was told to me this, uh, this a long time ago by uh, Professor Rosalind Hursthaus from from um, Auckland University. And she she said she wants... If I remember the story incorrectly, I, I apologize to Rosalind. But uh, she had this really uh, dream that she thought was like amazing philosophical concept. And she woke up and she said, I have to remember this, I have to remember this, and wrote it down, and then went back to sleep again. And in the morning she woke up and read her her report, and it was complete garbage. It was something about uh, purple hippopotami floating in a lake or something. <laughs> and just during the dream, she thought it was so profound and amazing, and she, and she wrote it down, and then upon rereading it, it was just completely meaningless. <laughs> <laughs> so you can have this that's that's another interesting aspect of dreams you can have this weird dissociation between emotion and experience so you might feel this profoundness or nostalgia or overwhelming emotion and then when you wake up you think well why that emotion doesn't make any sense in that context you might think oh I should have been afraid or um, I should have enjoyed that or something where you feel the wrong emotions and things refer to that as binding. So there's very bad binding between uh, different sensory and emotional elements. They can get all mixed up. <laughs> so they can be quite quite weird reports that we, we make when we, when we wake up. So could you explain a little about what a sense of agency is? Sense of agency is what I'm looking at at the moment as uh, my main area of, of dream research. I'm just getting into looking at how sense of agency changes in dreams. So what the sense of agency is, so most people will have an understanding about agency. So agency being whether or not we have control over our actions. There's a large debate about whether we actually have uh, free will, for example. Do I, have, can, do I really control my actions or is everything predetermined? Um, that kind of thing. Uh, that's quite a, a raging debate. But 
The sense of agency is also very interesting. The sense of agency is just our feeling of being in control of actions or our feeling of being in control of thoughts. So, for example, if I do something really simple, like I reach for a doorknob, I feel like I'm causing that action. My hand is moving according to my own will. I feel in control of it, and when I grasp the doorknob, generally I get this not overwhelming sense of control, but I just feel like this is something that I have done rather than this is something that's happening irrespective of me or this is something that's being done to me. So if someone grabbed my hand and moved it towards the doorknob, I'd feel like I didn't have a sense of agency over that particular movement. And similarly, we can have sense of agency over our thoughts. So my example of strong sense of agency of thought is when you do philosophy. So philosophy is is difficult and requires a lot of training and controlled thought, you could say. You don't usually let your mind wander when you're thinking philosophically about something or when you're thinking critically. You feel a lot of sense of agency over those thoughts that you have, the, uh, the philosophical thoughts that you have. But in contrast, you might just let your mind wander and not have any particular feeling of control over your thoughts. Or you might have what we refer to as unbidden thoughts pop into your head that you don't really feel any control over like a, an annoying song or <laughs> a jingle. Those are good examples of unbidden thoughts that can be quite annoying, mm. but they're quite common. What is the importance of dream research and the connection to our understanding of the sense of agency? Okay, good question. Um, so I think dreams are very important for sense of agency research uh, for a variety of reasons. The, the sense of agency is really interesting in terms of dreams because of how it changes during our dreams. So one of the most prominent areas of sense of agency research in waking is in delusions and schizophrenia. So those conditions show a lot of alterations to the sense of agency. You may, for example, lack a sense of agency over movements that we would usually have a sense of agency over. And similarly, in dreams, we experience similar shifts in sense of agency that would be considered unusual in the waking case. So I might reach for the doorknob, but not have a sense that I am do- that I am doing it. I might feel like my arm is moving on its own, or I might feel like it's being controlled by some external force. A very common experience in dreams is the inability to move, so a feeling of paralysis. You might be in a dangerous scenario and just be paralyzed, or you try to move and your body refuses to obey your commands. So you can have these interesting alterations to your sense of agency and lack of control over movement. But also very interesting is the similarities between normal waking sense of agency and dreaming sense of agency. Because imagine you're dreaming that you're walking down the street and you have a certain goal. I want to get from point A to point B, and you carry out your intentions. And you, whatever is required for walking, you're moving your legs, you're moving your arms, you have goals, and oftentimes you can achieve them. But this is very, actually very interesting because in a dream, you don't really have a body. The body is just created by your mind. And the interesting thing you can research is 
to what extent is the dream body actually like the waking body? So in a situation in which you have no sensory feedback from the external environment as you do when you're awake. When when I'm awake, I'm, I'm getting feedback from my limbs. I'm getting certain proprioception, so the feeling of where my limbs are about in space. I get vestibular sensation, so when I move, I feel the sense of movement. And most of the time, that's due to the actual sensations from the environment. But it seems like in dreams, we get all those sensations as well but there's no external environment at all. So it's all being internally generated, or at least most of it is being internally generated. I don't want to rule out the possibility that actually in some dreams we do get sensation from the external environment. But for the most part, it's all created by the mind. So the interesting thing from that would be, well, how good is the mind at creating a body, let's say a body schema or a body image that we can actually experience in the same way as our waking bodies? Yeah, that's really interesting. I know that, oh, just one example with myself, there must have been a, a storm going on during the night and my dog was very fearful and she'd attached mm. herself to my head. I was actually dreaming that I was in Russia and I was wearing one of those fur ah, sort of hats. Cool. And, and I thought, geez, this hat is so heavy. And when I woke up, there, there was my dog on, right on top of my head. And I thought, oh, that's really weird. So it was like an outside stimulus had affected yep. what I was dreaming. But when I was quite young, I, I used to have really horrible dreams. And my brother said to me that I could learn to control my dreams. And after he said that to me, I really didn't have any more horrible dreams anymore. So do you, do you think that it's possible for people to control their dreams in some way? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so you can control your dreams in a variety of ways, some which are quite simple. So you might just believe that the dream is reality and, you know, act normally. And, and in that way, of course, you can you have control. So let's say I'm walking down the street. It's a very mundane form of control. I'm changing the environment by walking from one point to another. Um, but in slightly more interesting ways, you could have control over the external elements, not just your own movements. So we refer to those as control dreams, or even more so, you might have a lucid controlled dream. So a lucid dream is when you realize that you're dreaming, and a lucid control dream is when you kind of cash in on that knowledge and try to change the surrounding environment. Or you could, for example, fly or walk through walls, or there's some reports of dream researchers trying to see what the limits of control in their dreams are. So I recall one report of someone trying to call a cat to him, and he actually tries to call a cat, and then there are all of these cats that suddenly surround him. So he has some control of the environment, but it kind of doesn't turn out exactly the way he intended. Also, learning to lucid dream. So there are a few activities you can do to increase your chances of lucid dreaming when you're awake such as thinking about whether or not you're dreaming when you're awake. You're more likely to think about whether you're dreaming in sleep. And if you think about whether you're dreaming, you're more likely to realize you're dreaming. So once you reach that lucid stage, you can then start to control your dreams. And this is a good way of overcoming nightmares. So if you have a nightmare and you realize you're dreaming, you could control the environment or or even just 
be, not be afraid. You, you realize it's a dream, so you don't have to be afraid anymore. Some people can wake themselves up from their dreams as well. So a lot of interesting types of control you might have. The general way people dream mostly is, is pretty unreflective, though, and lacking control. Quite a passive, not necessarily just a passive observer, but someone who goes along with, with whatever is happening without any reflection. So there's quite a variety. You just mentioned before about hallucination. Now, there's mm-hmm. been a debate in dream literature, which mm-hmm. is, are our dreams imagination or hallucination? Yeah, so that's quite an interesting debate because most people would just say, oh, well, they're like hallucinations. When I'm dreaming, I feel like I'm awake or I believe that I'm awake. So it has to be perceptual. So there's this distinction between um, like imaginal and perceptual. So imaginal will be more like a thought and perceptual would be obviously um, actually perceiving stimulus. So most people think, of course, it must be a hallucination. But this is actually quite a interesting debate because a lot of people say, well, dreams aren't quite like waking because we only think they're like waking because our our ability to reflect is reduced. And we don't realize they're not like waking because, well, in, in a sense, we're stupid in most of our dreams. <laughs> um, and that's linked to, uh, well, a deactivation of the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, according to the literature. But another reason to think dreams are actually more like imagination is that they have no, uh, no consequences in the real world. So when, when something happens in reality, it has consequences, whereas in dreams, there's, there's no kind of causal interaction between your dreams. So if you, for example, if you hear a sound in a dream, it's probably not going to wake you up. But if you are dreaming and a sound comes from the external environment, it, it will actually wake you up. So this is, I personally don't think that that's a particularly good argument. But another argument might be that dreams just aren't as vivid as we think they are. They're, they're more hazy. So the types of dreams that you have, for example, they seem to be more like imagining. Some empirical research on this suggests that dreaming ability develops alongside the ability to imagine. So maybe they're controlled by the same cognitive mechanisms. I'm of the view that dreams can be more along a spectrum between perceptual and imaginative. And I think there's quite a lot of evidence to support that. So is there any such thing as the average dream? Yeah, a lot of researchers try to work that out. What is the most common type of dream? Are they more bizarre or are they more mundane? So a lot of people report really bizarre experiences when they wake up, like oh, flying elephants and things exploding, uh, helicopters going through the, the ground or something like that. No, that's, that's from Oh, that's, that's only Bronwyn Bishop's dreams. <laughs> I imagine there's some helicopter nightmares from her... At the moment, <laughs> never again. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, actually, um, J. Allen Hobson was a very famous dream researcher. Report, he, he has a massive dream. He keeps his, a diary of his dreams. And one of his dreams is a, a helicopter hovering through the ground as he tries to run away. It's quite a bizarre one. But um, some, some researchers think, actually, no, dreams are occasionally bizarre, but mostly they're mundane things like walking down the street and so on, being at work, 
so there's there's uh, I, I think obviously dreams can be either very bizarre and almost unintelligible so that you couldn't report them they're so weird or very mundane yeah, I don't think there's the difference between more common dream experiences and more rare dream experiences. So, for example, the vicarious dreams are very rare. I think mundane things like you know, dreaming about something you might be anxious about might be quite common. But I don't think there's a, a typical dream experience that you could reduce it down to. They're, they're just so varied, and it's this variety that makes them so interesting. Is there any other future work in this area planned? The, the debate between imagination and hallucination and the sense of agency may be able to come together. So I'm hoping that if we study how we experience the body during sleep, so what what is our sense of agency over our dream body? Is it more like a sense of agency we might feel over an imagined body or is it more like a sense of agency we might feel over the waking body? If we could discern this, then that would help to decide whether dreams can be more like the waking experience or so just more like imaginations. So some interesting things about the, the waking body, for example, are something we call attenuation of sensory perception and the fact that when you feel control over your movements, you're actually not paying a lot of attention to all the very minute, specific feedback you're getting from the environment. In fact, that's all reduced down uh, to some main types of feedback that are the most relevant to the current situation. So is there some kind of attenuative experience that goes on to the dream body? Obviously, this way would, this type of description wouldn't be appropriate to explaining the imagined body because none of none of that is actually happening. There's no sensory feedback, there's no attenuation, there's no uh, vestibular sensations, these kind of things. So I think an analysis of our experience of the dream body could actually go some way towards giving an argument about hallucination being a good description of at least some dream experiences. Obviously, due to my pluralistic view of dreams, I expect such research is going to show that there are some evidence for perceptual dreams and some evidence for imaginative dreams. But, of course, I think it's going to show that because that's, that's my preconceived idea of what dreams are like. So, who knows, maybe the research might show that the pluralistic view of dreams is not actually that plausible. We shall see. So that's my next area of investigation, linking this idea of sense of agency of the dream experience with whether or not hallucinatory or imaginative. Right, yeah. Now it sounds like very interesting research, so I'll look forward to an update on that. And I've been speaking to Dr. Melanie Rosen from Macquarie University about the philosophy of dreams. Hello, I'm Janet Thompson, and this is 3CR Community Radio on 855 on your dial. And this is Radical Philosophy. That's philosophy for everyone.